Whenever I have a, a group, um, I use the opportunity to do uh, at least one Theopolis commercial. Um, I'm going to take the privilege of doing two. I did one at the beginning of the last talk. But I wanted to talk about um, one of our programs in particular. Uh, we are relaunching a fellows program that we tried a couple years ago. We're going to be doing it in a different form starting in uh, July of this year. Uh, our fellows program is kind of our signature program. It's uh, basically a six-month period of study of mainly of biblical and liturgical theology. Uh, it's designed for uh, pastors, seminary students, lay leaders, uh, and it's designed so that people can participate without uh, uh, interrupting their, their lives. And we, tried a, we tried a fellows program a couple years ago that interrupted people's lives dramatically, and we realized that was a little much to ask of people to move to Birmingham for a year and to study with us. So we're redesigned the program. It's a limited residency program. The workload is fairly light. Uh, the uh, requirements for being in Birmingham, there are only two and a half weeks of sessions in Birmingham. The rest will be online. Uh, but it's designed for people who want to do additional study of biblical theology and liturgical theology in particular with some cultural issues uh, uh, that are alongside of that. But this is the, this is the one program where we kind of download as much, of we can, as much as we can of the, the Theopolitan vision that we're trying to communicate. Uh, there'll be a session, a week and a half session in July uh, in Birmingham. There'll be uh, twice monthly online seminars between August and December uh, with minimal reading and other assignments. And then there'll be another session in July, uh, January rather of 2020 that'll conclude the program. So if, if you're interested in for learning more about that, you can go on our website, uh, theopolisinstitute.com, and we have a, a page for the Junior Fellows Program, and you can see more about what's required and what, what we'll cover. Um, or talk to me uh, about it. Or if you know somebody who might be interested, if you're not interested yourself, but you know somebody who uh, might be interested in that kind of program, uh, we see it as a way to supplement. It doesn't replace a uh, pastoral training uh, it doesn't replace seminary, but it's a supplement to seminary, and it's uh, be a program for uh, lay leaders who want to uh, study a little bit more in depth. So uh, look at the website on that, on the uh, Junior Fellows page of the Theopolis website. Uh, this last session, I want to uh, ask the question, what does it mean to give thanks? And uh, that'll be the topic, but let's begin with prayer. <clears throat> Our gracious Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us through your son, Jesus we thank you that Jesus came to liberate us from sin and death, that he came to destroy the works of the devil, and that he came to also to free us from principalities and powers and various enslavements uh, that uh, uh, reign over us. And we pray as we continue to consider these things, that we continue to contemplate what you revealed to us and the good news that you've declared to us. We pray that we would be a people of thanksgiving, that we would uh, give you thanks for everything in all circumstances, and that you would com uh, create communities and form communities in which there are no debts but the debt of love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we, we've looked at uh, kind of the dilemma of ancient gratitude, uh, the dilemma being um, illustrated by the play Coriolanus, where you have characters that are caught between two uh, unhappy alternatives. There's monstrous ingratitude that destroys Rome. 
but then there's a kind of cannibalistic gratitude uh, where uh, there's absolute demands made by Rome on its citizens and its leaders that's also dangerous and reveals a kind of dark side to gratitude. And I uh, argued in the last session that Jesus comes to liberate us from those structures. He liberates givers to give without any worry about whether the person that's on the receiving end is going to be grateful or be able to return because the Father is the one who gives return gifts. Uh, he, gives, he liberates recipients from being slaves to their patrons because they recognize that God is the patron, the giver of all gifts. And Jesus, by his Spirit, is forming a community where every member is gifted, every member is giving and receiving from every other member, but without domination or slavery, where there are no debts uh, but the debt of love. What I want to do in this last session is to ask the question to the Bible, what does it mean to give thanks? What does thanks mean in the Bible? And I want to summarize that under three headings. Uh, thanks is a name, first of all. Thanks is a ritual. And thanks is also a speech act, a particular kind of speech act in the Bible. Uh, so first of all, thanks as a name. Uh, in, in Hebrew, there's no distinct word for thanks as opposed to praise. It's the same verb. And the, the uh, terminology, the translation in your English Bibles will differ depending on context. Uh, what the translators think, uh, if in a particular context, praising God would have an element of thanksgiving because somebody's been delivered from some danger, and so they translate it as thanks. Sometimes they'll translate it as praise, but it's, it's the same word. And it's the word that's at the root of the name Judah. Uh, when Leah gives birth to Judah, she gives praise to God. She thanks God because God has seen her uh, affliction. She's the despised wife, and she gives thanks to God. She praises God for this gift of a son, and she names him praise. Yehuda is from yada, the verb that means to give praise or to give thanks. As, as often in the Bible, the names of people reflect a character or reflect a storyline. Abram means something like great father, and then Abram, the shorter version of the name, means great father, and then it uh, is expanded to Abraham, which means exalted fathers and enhancement. It's a bigger name, and it means that he's going to be a father of nations. Israel means one who wrestles with God, uh, and that name is given to him at Peniel when he wrestles with God, literally wrestles with God overnight, and he's given the name of Israel because he's the one who wrestles with God and with men and prevails, prevails both with his opponents, his human opponents, and he prevails with God. And Yehuda, Judah, uh, the name praise or thanks, also describes his character, it describes the circumstances of his birth in the first instance, but then it also describes his destiny. And this particularly comes out in the blessings that, uh, uh, that uh, Israel or Jacob gives to his sons at the end of the book of Genesis you remember Genesis 49, Jacob goes through all his sons and he pronounces blessings over each of them. They're going, <laughs> they're going to, uh, they're going to uh, uh, have certain destinies, enjoy certain blessings. And what, what he says about Judah is that Judah will be the royal tribe and that Judah will be praised. This is Genesis 49, verse 8. I'll read some of the surrounding verses just to give you the uh, context. Judah, 49.8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. <clears throat> we don't see it in the 
English, but the, there's a pun. Judah, Yehuda, your brothers shall yada, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. As a lion, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah until the ruler's staff from between, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be given the obedience of the peoples. Judah is going to be the royal tribe. His name means to praise God. His name means to give thanks. And then he becomes the royal, the, the father of the royal tribe uh, because he's going to be the, be the recipient of praise from his brothers, from the other tribes, because he's going to be the chief of the tribes. It's interesting to trace the migration and expansion of the name Judah as we go through the Bible. It's the name of an individual in the first instance. That individual is one of the 12 sons of Jacob and the father of one of the 12 tribes. And so the members of that tribe take the name of Judah. They're the descendants, descendants of Judah, the sons of Judah. They're the Judahites. And that becomes the royal tribe, of course. David comes out of that tribe. Um, so the tribe of praise and thanks is linked up with kingship uh, in the Bible. And we'll see how that comes out elsewhere in the Bible where kingship and thanks are linked together. But that's, that's, not the, that's not the end. It's not just a single tribe within Israel that's called Judah. Judah becomes the name not just of the, the royal tribe, but the entire southern kingdom. All the people in the southern kingdom are described as Judahites. Once the kingdom is divided, you have the Davidic kings that are ruling in the south. They're still kings descended, literally descended from Judah. But all their subjects become part of the tribe of Judah. They're all kind of elevated and become part of this royal tribe. And they're all become part of the tribe that's designated by the name thanks or praise. And then there's an ex a further expansion of that after the exile. You have Israel and Judah for a couple of centuries as distinct areas of Israel's distinct kingdoms. The southern kingdom of Judah is ruled by the descendants of David who are from the tribe of Judah. Then they go into exile. The Israel goes into exile first under the Assyrians. And then the southern kingdom of Judah goes into exile under the Babylonians. And when they come out, they're no longer Israel and Judah. They're not called that. They're not distinct kingdoms. They're one kingdom, and now all of them bear the name Jew. They're all called Jews. But Jew is just a shortened version of Judahite. In the Hebrew, if you look at, if, there's a few places in the Bible, that, in, the, in the Old Testament, that use the word Jew. It's a late developing word. But uh, when you look at the Hebrew, you find that the word Jew simply means is Judahite. They're no longer, uh, those, are, those are no longer descendants from Judah, you can be descended from Naphtali or Asher or Ephraim, but you're part now of the Jewish people. They're all considered members of the Judahite tribe. They're all elevated to this position of kingship. They're all elevated to be a people of praise and thanksgiving. So you have this uh, kind of, you can think about a concentric circles, this expansion from a single individual to his descendants, which includes the royalty of the southern kingdom, to the southern kingdom and then to all Israelites. And we can think about this in terms of the New Testament. Paul tells us that we are the true Jews. We are the ones who are the true descendants of that royal tribe, the true descendants of the one who praises and is praised. We're a people who should be characterized by thanksgiving as the royal tribe of, uh, as the royal people 
of God, the royal priesthood. So tracing that name, I think, gives us a clue about the, uh, the significance, the centrality of thanksgiving in the life of the church. We're named by, in this biblical name, we're named by a name that means praise and thanksgiving. So thanks is, first of all, our name, and we should live up to our name. We are the true Jews. We should be a people of continuous thanksgiving. In the, in the, in the Bible, uh, thanksgiving is also a ritual, and it's a ritual that involves a shared meal, uh, the todah offering. You can't hear it, perhaps, in uh, English, but todah is a variation on the verb yada, the verb that means praise or thanks. And you turn that into a noun, and it turns into todah. And that's a particular kind of offering in the Levitical system of sacrifice. Uh, in Leviticus 7, we have this, these instructions. Now, this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which shall be presented to the Lord. If he offers it by way of thanksgiving, then along with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, he shall offer unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers spread with oil, cakes of well-stirred fl fine flour mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving, he shall present his offering with cakes of unleavened bread, and of this he shall present one of every offering as a contribution to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offerings. So you have offerings in general. Peace offerings are a particular category of offering. And then one particular subdivision of peace offering is the thank offering, a peace offering for thanksgiving. So in cases where you, something has happened where you want to give thanks, some specific benefit from God, you've received some specific benefit from God, some deliverance from God, and you want to give thanks, you offer a todah. It's a form of peace offering. You go to the, you go to the temple or the tabernacle, and you perform this ritual sacrifice, uh, and uh, you give thanks through that ritual sacrifice. Now, the distinct thing about the peace offering in the Levitical system is that it's the one offering among all of the offerings that the worshiper actually was able to eat from. If you brought an ascension offering or a whole burnt offering, the entire animal gets burned on the altar. If you brought a sin offering, part of the animal would get burned, the rest of the animal would go to the priests. You couldn't eat any of it. You bring a peace offering, and then part of the animal goes on the altar, it gets burned. Part of the animal goes to the priests, and the priests get to eat. But then you get the most of the meat, and you get to have a feast. And the thanks offering, the thanksgiving offering, the todah, is a version of that peace offering. So if you want to give thanks, how do you do it? You go to the tabernacle, you perform this ritual sacrifice that ends with a shared meal. And I say shared meal because if you're taking a goat, unless you're really, really hungry, you're probably not going to consume the entire goat yourself. If you take something bigger than a goat, you're going to probably share it with your family. You might invite your friends. You know, the Lord has done a great thing for me. I'm going to invite the whole neighborhood to a feast. I'm going to offer several thank offerings. We're going to have a big feast at the tabernacle. And that's how we will show thanks to the Lord. The todah is a way of showing thanks through offering to God, giving thanks to God through the parts of the animal that are burned, but also sharing the gift of God, the, the joy that you have by sharing a meal. You express thanks by, not just by giving thanks for God's generosity, but you express thanks by being generous. Thanksgiving is itself an act of generosity. 
Now, in the, the, the book of Leviticus, we're not told exactly what kinds of circumstances uh, would call for a thank offering, but we're told that in some places in the book of Psalms. The thank offering comes up in David's Psalms on occasion when he's in certain kinds of circumstances and he promises uh, to offer thank offerings if the Lord delivers him. He says this in this uh, is Psalm 50, beginning in verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. This is a psalm of Asaph, not of David. But I am God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifice. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I take no young bull out of your house, no male goats out of your folds. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I have every, beast, every bird of the mountains, everyone, everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? The Lord is reminding Israel that he doesn't depend on their offerings. He's, uh, he has life in himself. Uh, whatever they're doing to offer thanks, praise to God at the, uh, in these offerings, it's not a payback as if it's, they're giving something that God didn't have already. Whatever they give to God is something that, they already, that he already has given them. It, all, it belongs to God even when it's in their hand. And then verse 14, after reminding them of that, he says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the, Lord, to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you and you will honor me. So after this reminder that they're not actually paying back anything, thanksgiving to God is not a repayment. God still tells them to offer, God, to offer me a th- a, an offering of thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the Most High. When should you do that? When you call upon me in the day of trouble, I rescue you and you honor me. If you're in trouble, sickness, danger from uh, enemies, uh, if you have some kind of crisis in your life and the Lord delivers you from that crisis, you offer a todah offering, you give him thanks, and that thanks takes the form of a shared meal, not just uh, you yourself with God offering thanks, but sharing out uh, the joy that you have in uh, a feast. I think that says on my notes, Psalm 56, another place where a thank offering is mentioned. Beginning in verse 8, Psalm 56, Thou hast taken account of my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in thy book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. In God I put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Thy vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to thee, for thou hast delivered my soul from death, my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. When does he offer thank offerings? I render thank offerings because the Lord has delivered him from death, kept his feet from stumbling, and has brought him to walk before God in the land of the living. When he's rescued from death, rescued from danger, rescued from his enemies, then he goes and offers a thank offering. So the, uh, the, um, this, uh, uh, this kind of thanks is not just a private act, you notice. It's not just a person saying thank you to God, but it becomes a public event, a shared event, an event that includes generosity and a shared feast at the temple. That's how you express thanks in the Bible. Uh, Thanksgiving is a name. It's our name. We are uh, royal priesthood. We're members of the true Judah, Jesus Christ. Uh, And so we should be characterized by thanks and praise. 
Uh, thanks is a ritual, a ritual of a shared meal. And thanks is also a speech act. It's something that we say. And this, in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, this, also used, this is also described with the word todah. The word todah means a thank offering with an animal being sacrificed and you having a meal. But in the book of Psalms and some other places, todah also describes verbal acts, verbal sacrifices of praise and thanks to God. Uh, in Nehemiah, for example, when Nehemiah is dedicating the temple, he sends the uh, Levites and priests processing around the walls of the city, and they're singing praise to God, and they offer God sacrifices of todah, thank, thank offerings to God, uh, praise to God, not, not, uh, not animals that are being sacrificed at the altar, but praised to God that is dedicating and sanctifying the temple. He compared that with Solomon, how Solomon dedicates the first temple, he dedicates the first temple with m massive amounts of animal sacrifice. There are hundreds and thousands of animals that are slaughtered in order to dedicate the first temple. When Nehemiah is dedicating the second temple and the city, he does it through a sacrifice of praise. We find David talking this way, using the word todah, the word for thank offering, when he describes his acts of praise uh, to God in the Psalter. In uh, Psalm 30, for example, Psalm 30, the first several verses there. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not let my enemies rejoice over me. I, I, o Lord my God, I cry to thee for help, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought me my soul from Sheol. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. That's the same word. Here it's not an offering an animal. It's a verbal thanks that is uh, offered to the Lord as a kind of verbal offering. That's again in circumstances where David has been protected and delivered from Sheol. He's on the brink of death. His enemies are after him and the Lord rescues him and so he's going to offer praise to God. And this, this particular example gives us a hint about one of the elements of these verbal acts of praise that recurs throughout the, throughout the Psalter and that is the, our acts, the acts of praise that are in the Psalter include a recital, a review of God's great acts on behalf of the worshiper. When you give thanks, you say, as David did, I cried, for you for, cried to you for help and you healed me. You brought me up from my soul from Sheol. You've kept me alive that I not go down to the pit. He's reviewing the things that the Lord has done for him. That's part of the thanks is an act of memory and an act of reciting the Lord's great acts on behalf of his people. And those acts of memory, those acts of speaking about God's great acts, are not just to call things to David's mind. They're also supposed to call things to the Lord's mind. They're also memorials in the way the, the, the rainbow is a memorial. Uh, perhaps your pastor has talked about this uh, in connection with the Lord's Supper as a memorial. The Lord's Supper is a memorial not just because it reminds us of Jesus, although that's true, but more importantly, the Lord's Supper is a memorial because it's presented before God. He, the Father, the Father remembers Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf as we do this that the Lord Jesus commanded. As we do the rite of the Lord's Supper, we memorialize his death. The Father sees and responds and keeps his covenant. That's like the rainbow in Genesis. The rainbow is set in the heavens, not as a reminder to Noah, primarily. The rainbow is set in the heavens as a sign and a memorial 
to the Lord. And when the Lord sees the rainbow, then he'll remember his promise and he won't flood the earth again. And of course, when we see, pictures, when we see uh, visions of God in the Bible, he's often within a cloud, a storm cloud. He's light and there's a storm cloud, light and a storm cloud. There's going to be a rainbow there all the time, right? Jesus is surrounded, his head is surrounded by a rainbow in the book of Revelation. You can't look anywhere without seeing the rainbow. Everywhere he looks, he's reminded of his covenant. That's what a memorial is. And when thanks is offered, when we thank God by reciting the things that he's done for us, by reminding us ourselves of what he's done for us, we're also reminding him. And there's an implied plea to God, an implied prayer, that God would continue to do the same thing again. You did this for me in the past, David is saying. You rescued me from Sheol in the past. You healed me. It's all good. I don't need your help anymore. Is that the Of course not. Part of his thanks is to ask God for more. <laughs> Seems like an odd way to say thanks, but that's what he's doing. He wants God to keep giving him benefits, to keep rescuing him, to keep healing him, to keep him safe. By memorializing what God has already done in his thanksgiving, he's asking God to keep doing it again and again. That's part of our thanksgiving. Another passage in the Psalms, Psalm 111. Praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. To those uh, They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work. His righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Excuse me. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. There again, Paul, uh, uh, whoever wrote this psalm, we're not told, uh, is giving thanks to the Lord in the company of the upright in the assembly. He's doing a verbal act of thanks. In the course of doing that, he's reviewing some of the things that the Lord has done. He's talking in general about the great works that the Lord has done about the wonders that the Lord has done, the fact that the Lord gives food and he remembers his covenant and he makes his power known in his works. Part of giving thanks again is expressing what God has done in the past in order to ask him to keep doing it. Psalm 138 is an interesting example where David gives thanks to the Lord and he expects that thanksgiving, which includes a memorial of God's works, to be a witness against all the idols of the world and a witness to the kings of the earth. Psalm 138. David says, I will give thanks to you with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for thou hast magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called you answered me, that is make me bold with strength of my soul. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord when they have heard the words of my, uh, thy mouth. They will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. So David begins by saying, I will give thanks, I will sing praise among all the people. But he doesn't want the thanks to stop with him. He doesn't want that thanksgiving to stop just with Israel. He wants the thanks to spread out so that their thanks is echoed out in the rest of the world, and the rest of the kings of the earth will imitate David and give thanks to the Lord. And they will hear the words of the Lord. They will see what the Lord has done for David, and they'll realize that he alone is God and that their gods are only idols. 
thanksgiving by uh, reciting what the Lord has done and celebrating his good works is also a witness to the world uh, and to the nations. So these are all packed together in what the Psalms present as a, in a toda offering, a toda prayer. To give thanks is to memorialize God's acts, to remember them, to recite them, and to present them to God so that he keeps doing them. Thanksgiving is a witness about what God has done and calling on the nations to give him thanks. It's a witness against the idols, a witness against all the gods of the earth. Uh, David says at the beginning of Psalm 138, I will praise thee from my heart with all my heart. In several places in the Psalter, he talks about thanksgiving from his heart. And he's not saying that as long as I have thankful feelings in my heart, I've done my duty to show gratitude to God. Thanksgiving comes from the heart, but it comes out in expression of verbal thanks. It comes out in expression of the ritual of thanksgiving that I've described. It comes out in, uh, a, a, in acts of generosity. It, there has to be a fit between what's in our heart and what we say and what we do. If we, could, we can give thanks without our heart being in it, that's possible. We can speak verbal thanks to God without actually being thankful. But David doesn't think of thanksgiving only as something that he keeps within his heart. It's not, just, it's not merely an emotional state. It's something that comes to some kind of public expression, verbal expression, and expression in uh, ritual acts of thanksgiving, and especially in common meals. When we look at the, uh, all this, uh, the combination of these things in the Old Testament, you have the toda offering, which is a kind of peace offering that involves a common meal, along with the toda prayers, the thanksgiving prayers of the Psalter. We put those two things together, and what do we get? You add them together, and what you get is the Eucharist. The Eucharist, the Eucharist, the Eucharist, yeah. The Eucharist is the New Covenant Toda offering. It's our Thanksgiving offering. It's a Thanksgiving offering that fulfills the Old Testament Toda because it's a shared meal. It's also a Thanksgiving offering because it's surrounded by all these prayers of Thanksgiving. That's why the Eucharist is called the Eucharist. It's called the Lord's Supper. It's called the Lord's Table. There are a lot of names for uh, the... the uh, the act that we do in our worship. Eucharist is not exactly a biblical name for the Lord's Supper, but it is an appropriate name because the Lord's Supper is an act of thanksgiving. A shared meal of the church is itself an act of thanksgiving when we look at it from this Old Testament perspective. And then when we add all the traditional prayers to the Lord's Supper, the Eucharistic prayer, uh, and the other prayers that surround the Lord's Supper, we see that the Lord's Supper is the fulfillment of these two sides of the Old Testament Todah. It is our act of thanks. The Eucharistic prayer traditionally uh, in the church has been a prayer of thanksgiving. That's why it's called Eucharist. Eucharist is simply the Greek word for thanksgiving. Excuse me. Uh, the Eucharistic prayer in traditional uh, liturgies uh, can involve a lengthy uh, review of the history of God's dealings with his people. Uh, they give thanks for God creating the world. They give thanks, the Eucharistic prayer gives thanks for the Exodus. The Eucharistic prayer can give thanks for the Lord's deliverance of Israel out of exile. A review of God's great acts on behalf of Israel and then culminating with the greatest of all acts and giving his son, uh, the Lord Jesus, to be our Savior. That's all part of the Eucharistic prayer. So in the context of this shared meal, we are praying a Todah prayer, a Eucharistic 
prayer that's a recital of God's acts, that is a memorial before God in the same way that the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament prayers were memorials, not only reminding us, but when the Eucharistic prayer is prayed, when a church prays, uh, thanks God for all the things he's done for Israel throughout the ages, for all the things he's done for us through Jesus Christ, when we thank God for that, we are reminding the Lord of what he's done and calling on him to keep doing it. And that act of thanksgiving, that verbal thanksgiving and that shared meal, this new covenant todah, this new covenant act of thanks, is a witness to the world. By reminding ourselves and the world of the things that the Lord has done, we're uh, speaking out against the idols. We're calling on all the nations, all kings of the earth, and everyone everywhere to join us in giving thanks. We don't want to be the only ones giving thanks. We want the world to be full of thanksgiving. We want the world to be full of praise. We want every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and give thanks to him. So all these Old Testament, uh, all these Old Testament patterns come together in the Eucharist. And our liturgical act of the Lord's Supper is our primary act of thanksgiving for the community of the church. But of course, thanksgiving in the New Covenant, especially in the New Covenant, is not confined to what we do in the church. I've cited Paul a number of times, give thanks for all things in all circumstances, Paul says. The Eucharist that we do at church sets the pattern for a life of continuous thanksgiving. It sets the pattern for our lifestyle of continuous Eucharist. Uh, the New Testament regularly uses temple language and sacrificial language, not just to describe what we do when we gather for church, but also to describe what we do when we're living out our daily lives. We're supposed to offer God a sacrifice of praise. Yes, we come together, we gather together, and we praise God. We're also supposed to offer God a living sacrifice. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices, Paul says at the beginning of Romans 12. Not just at church. We do it at church. We offer our breath as a sacrifice to God. We offer our bodies when we praise him. We offer our thanks at the Lord's table, but not just at church. We offer a continuous sacrifice, a living sacrifice, when we go out of church. And the same thing is true of Thanksgiving. That is supposed to spread out from the Eucharistic act, the New Covenant Todah, is supposed to set the pattern for our entire life. We're supposed to live lives of continuous Thanksgiving. Paul talks about this, uh, among other places, talks about it in, very, in a very interesting way in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4. The Spirit explicitly says, this is the beginning of 1 Timothy 4, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the truth, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God created to be gratefully shared by all those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Everything God created is good. Everything should be received with thanksgiving. And then Paul goes on to make this interesting comment. It is sanctified. Whatever we receive is sanctified, made holy, by the word of God and prayer. And in context, the prayers must include prayers of thanksgiving. 
I think the logic behind this goes like this. We, out, we are holy people. We're saints. We're holy people because the Holy Spirit dwells in us and dwells among us. We're consecrated to God. We belong to God. That's what it means to be holy. To be a holy one, to be a saint, means God has a claim on you. And you can't use yourself, your body, your soul, your talents for your own purposes because you belong to God. An Old Testament priest couldn't take incense from the, uh, from the tabernacle. He couldn't take a pinch of incense home and uh, burn it at his own home to make his home smell good. It was holy incense, and it belonged to God and had to be used in God's house, not the priest's house. Holy things are God's things, and you're holy things. Holy people should only receive holy things. Holy food for holy people. You might say that during your... Lord's Supper celebration. It's a traditional part of many Lord's Supper celebration. Holy things for holy people. Holy food for holy people. How do we consecrate the things we receive? We consecrate the things we receive by prayer, the word of God, by thanksgiving. Everything we touch becomes holy if we receive it with gratitude, with the word of God in prayer. Our food becomes holy food for holy people if we give thanks. Our friends and family are holy to us. Our talents are holy to us. The, the goods we receive, the material goods we receive, are holy as we receive them with thanksgiving. As we are giving thanks for everything in all circumstances, we are consecrating the world, which means we are laying God's claim on everything. Something, when something is holy, it doesn't belong to us. If I, if I receive food and I give thanks to God for it, that means this is now God's food. And I better use it the way God wants me to. That means, among other things, that I better share it. Because that's part of what God wants me to do with my food. It's not just mine anymore. I've consecrated it to God. Everything you give thanks for, every person, every circumstance you give thanks for, every material good you give thanks for, you're laying God's claim on that thing. You are extending God's rule over the world by acts of thanksgiving. This is the, the New Testament way of connecting what I talked about earlier, that we are the royal people because we are a people of thanksgiving. We are exercising and extending God's rule over everything by giving thanks for all things in all circumstances. Okay? We sanctify it by means of the word of God and prayer. We receive it with thanksgiving, and everything we receive becomes holy. That is to say, it becomes God's and should be used for his purposes. And in giving thanks, I think we should take the Eucharist as our pattern in this, the Old Testament things I've been talking about. What does it mean to give thanks for all things in all circumstances? It means, first of all, to recognize that whatever you have, whatever you've received in your hands, whatever it is, comes from your Heavenly Father, and you should acknowledge that. Verbal thanks for everything in all circumstances. But it also means asking yourself the question, how can I fit this thing, this benefit, this gift I've received, this good thing that's happened to me in my life, how can I fit this into a recital of God's great acts on my behalf? How can this become part of the story that God is telling for my life? That's part of thanksgiving. How does this become part of the memorializing of God's great acts for me personally, for my family, for my church? That's part of giving thanks. And as we do that, as we're 
including this new gift into that recital of God's benefits, we are calling on God to give us more. Uh, that's, again, that seems odd, but that's part of Thanksgiving. We're asking God to keep doing it, to keep giving us gifts. Receiving something with Thanksgiving also means to ask, how can this thing, this person, this circumstance, how can this thing, which I've consecrated to God by Thanksgiving, how can that become, as it were, food that I can share with others? And this, I think, helps us to see how even bad things, we respond with gratitude even to bad things that happen in our lives. You get a debilitating illness. Your husband or wife loses a job. I'm supposed to give thanks for that. Or you're the victim of some kind of awful injustice. You're supposed to give thanks for that? In those circumstances, how can you do that? How is that not complicity with injustice? How isn't that just kind of papering over the bad things that happen in life and pretending they didn't happen? It's because by giving thanks, you're including even those bad circumstances in a recital of God's benefits to you. And you're looking for ways to break out those circumstances as bread, to make them nourishing for other people. How can you, suffering from cancer, be a blessing to to others? How can you turn that into Eucharist, a shared meal? And you can. You probably have seen people do this. I know I have. Uh, some of you may know the Schleck family in Moscow. This is the example that I constantly give of the, uh, because I think it's such a, a, a tremendous example. They, one of their daughters uh, had a, a very rare and usually fatal form of cancer when, they, uh, when she was a, a young child. She's survived. She's, I think, married now. And uh, uh, so uh, the Lord has been very good. But the, the Schlecks had this uh, horrible circumstance come up with one of their kids. Uh, they didn't pretend like it didn't happen. <laughs> they didn't pretend like it was nothing. Uh, but they were faithfully serving the Lord, serving the people of God, faithfully giving thanks to God in those awful circumstances. And that became food and encouragement and nourishment for dozens of other people that they never talked to about it. People just watched them go through those circumstances and they saw faith in action. They saw a life of continuous thanksgiving. They saw somebody who really believed the gospel living it out. And they encouraged, they built up the body without even saying, they didn't have to say a word. They just had to be grateful and thankful. They had to look for ways to go through that awful circumstance as if it were, as if, as if it were Eucharist. They give thanks to God. This is part of the Lord's goodness to us. We don't know how, but part of that goodness is that we can take this as bread from God that we can break and distribute and it can be nourishing and refreshing for someone else. That's part of what it means to give thanks in all circumstances. We can also give thanks in bad circumstances because thanksgiving is um, proleptic. We give thanks before the deliverance comes. David does this constantly. He's surrounded by enemies, but then he gives God thanks, even though he's not yet rescued. (laughs) We celebrate the Lord's Supper in the midst of our enemies. The Lord sets us table in the midst of our enemies. He sets us a table in thanksgiving when he hasn't yet fulfilled all of his promises, and yet we're giving thanks to him for fulfilling all his promises. How can we do that? Because his promises are so certain to be fulfilled. 
because we're so confident that they will be fulfilled, that our deliverance will come, whatever form it might take, that we give thanks for it now, before it happens. We can live lives of continuous thanksgiving, no matter what's happening, because we, not, we know that our Father has our interests in mind, that He loves us, and that He gives us nothing that's not good for us. We can't see it now. We may never see it until we come to glory. But we know that our Father has good intentions, and we can give thanks now in view of a future deliverance. Giving thanks in all things, for all things in all circumstances means sanctifying the world to God, and we do it by acknowledging whatever comes as coming from God, by acknowledging it as part of God's great acts for us, by memorializing it before God, that is, telling God thank you for all things, fitting it into this storyline that God is telling, looking for ways to commune with God more deeply in the midst of whatever circumstances we're in and through whatever gifts we receive. We give thanks by looking for ways to share, to use these circumstances, whatever they may be, as part of a shared meal, a shared festivity, to share them out for the building up of the church. That's what it means to live lives of continuous thanksgiving. And when we do that, then we really live up to our names. We are really the people, the true Jews, the true people of praise, the true people of thanksgiving. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you that in him uh, all things come to us, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We thank you that in him you have delivered us from death and sin. We thank you that you continuously deliver us. We thank you that you will deliver us, even when we can't see where, can't see where that deliverance has come from, coming from. We thank you and praise you for all things, and we pray that you would make us a grateful people, that we would see your hand in whatever comes to us, that we would look for opportunities to use whatever circumstances we have to bless your people and to give thanks to you. We pray that you would do this so that the world would know, so that the idols would be cast down, and the world would know that you alone are the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.